You're listening to New Spring Radio with Hector Velarde, pastor of Calvary New Spring Church in San Antonio, Texas. Why don't you just bow down to me? And he knows that if Jesus accepts, he will not fulfill his call. And his calling was to redeem all of mankind. And it's the same with us. Whatever God has called you to do, you can only do it if you remain loyal to him and to him only. That's it. You cannot have your foot in this world. And then Jesus again, look at what he does in verse 10. He said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus isn't the same person to different people in the world. Some think that he's the Messiah who died on a cross and rose again, while others think that he was just another good prophet. In today's message, Pastor Hector wants you to know that just like his disciples learned during Jesus' time on earth, he is God in human form and remains in unity with him forever. Never take for granted the power that Jesus has in your life and do everything you can to further his kingdom. Now. Here's Pastor Hector in the book of Mark chapter 1 as he continues his message, How Jesus Triumphed Through Temptation. In order for us to see how Jesus triumphed over temptation, we're going to look at these three temptations that we have recorded in the other Gospels. And by the way, it's the same three temptations that Satan used against Adam and Eve in the garden many, many, many years prior to this. And guess what? It's the same three things that he uses against us. It's the same three things. I I often thought it's like when when I learned this and when I kind of made that connection between Genesis chapter 3 and this temptation of Jesus and then my temptations that Satan uses, I thought, well, why doesn't he come up with other ideas? Or why doesn't he come up with other strategies, right? But you know what? He doesn't need to. Certainly Satan has other tricks up his sleeve. I mean, these aren't like the only three things he uses. And, and, and he, he might have other things, but guess what? He doesn't need them. His tricks continue to work today. And so that old saying, right? If it's not uh, uh, broke, then don't fix it. It's the same thing. I mean, if it, we were just talking about that today. If it's not broken, then why fix it? And these things have been working for Satan for uh, thousands of years. And so thus, here they are. Number one is going to be the lust of the flesh. You've heard this before. I'm probably just repeating these for you. But number one, he's going to use the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And it's in with those three things that if Satan attacks, he always wins. However, in our story, he doesn't win. And what I want to draw out is what Jesus did to triumph over temptation. So follow me. Put your your marker there on Mark and go just move back a little bit to Matthew chapter 4. And so just join me in Matthew chapter 4. While you get there, I'm going to start with the lust of the flesh. And we're going to try to go through these quickly. But it's it's verses 3 and 4 of Matthew chapter 4 that say the following. It says, now when the tempter, there's another name for Satan, When the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. 
But he answered and said, it's that lust of the flesh. Satan tempts Jesus with, with this lust of the flesh at his most vulnerable moment. Now, remember that I said that Jesus has been fasting. He's been fasting for 40 days and most likely he's hungry. Think about the hunger of a teenager. They're always hungry. You know, and that's, that, that's, that's what's going on here. He is just hungry. It's been 40 days, not 40 minutes, because at least my teenager at home, ever since this whole quarantine thing, and I'm just going to talk about her real quickly, but she's been hungry the entire time. And I'm thinking, you just ate. And she walks in five minutes later, I'm hungry. And it's like, you just ate. If she's gone four minutes, Jesus has gone 40 days, and without a doubt, he is hungry. But you know what? It's the same temptation that Satan uses against us, the lust of the flesh. Now, whether it be for you food, because it can be, whether it be alcohol, drugs, relationships, money, or sex, or something, if you say, well, you didn't name mine, okay, we'll include yours in there, the temptation against the flesh, whether it be any of those, it doesn't matter because the answer is the same. The Word of God. You can insert whatever you want there. The answer to the lust of the flesh is the Word of God. Notice that Jesus quotes Bible to Satan and thus triumphs over this first attack. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, Bible. What did Jesus use? Bible. That's it. Bible. But there's more. It's the lust of the eyes. If the lust of the flesh didn't work, then he goes to the lust of the eyes. And it's right there in Matthew chapter 4, the next few verses. Chapter 5, read with me. It says, Then the devil took him up to a holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And then in verse 7 it says, Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Satan takes, notice, takes Jesus, you can't miss this, to a place where Jesus could see all and all could see him. You're, you're above the temple. Where did people go meet? Right at the temple. And Jesus could see all, and all could see Jesus. And if Jesus falls prey to what his eyes saw, follow me. If Jesus falls prey to what his eyes saw, he would then force God to intervene and rescue him. And that's what Satan is tempting him with. Look at all this. It's the lust of the eyes. I mean, throw yourself down. Let Prove it to everybody. Let him see. Let everybody see God come and rescue you. And isn't that exactly how Satan tempts us today with the lust of the eyes? There, there have been so many times, and maybe you can follow me. You can agree with me on this. Or you can identify with me. Perhaps I'm the only one. But there have been so many times that my eyes see something that I know is not good for me. Like my eyes lock into that thing. And I know it's not good. 
but my eyes are seeing it. And at that moment, I have to make a calculation. And it's exactly what Jesus is having to do here as Satan presents this lust of the eyes. Do it. Let everybody see. If you say who you are, then throw yourself down. Prove it to everybody. And it's something visual, something that Jesus is seeing right there. And it's at that moment that that happens in my life that I have to make a calculation in my mind that I have to ask myself, do I go through with it and wait for God to rescue me? Or do I resist? What do I do? Do I, let, do I go for it knowing that, hey, God is good and he's going to send his angels to charge over me? We'll talk about angels in the end. But, but, but am I going am I, am I to fall prey to that? Jesus would later say in the Sermon on the Mount, talking about the eyes, that the lamp of the body is the eye. And, and, and that if your eye be good, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And you know what's interesting is that Satan knows Scripture too. And if he can darken our view, he knows it will fall. If he can make you just kind of with your eyes kind of focus and, 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 and zoom in on something and lock in on something, he knows that he can make you fall. And so many things that make us fall come through the eye gate. It, comes in, it first starts in our eyes. For some of us, it's that constant bombardment of temptations by the enemy. But look at what Jesus says. Look at how he beats temptation. It is written, again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Hey, I see this. I can do it. All see me and I see all. But his word says that I shouldn't tempt the Lord. And he quotes Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. And it's true. Satan will tempt you. And we've seen it already in two ways. But let me ask another question, maybe something a little bit more personal. Are you tempting God yourself? Like Satan's going to make sure to tempt you. But are you tempting God? Are there places, websites, music, books, TV shows, relationships that you are gravitating to, focusing in on, and thus tempting God as you tempt yourself? And you say, well, what does that mean? Here's how we tempt God. We tempt God by going after those things which we know that are not good for us. Those things that we tend to lock into. Now, I'm going to be silly with it, but more so that you get the point. And what I mean by this tempting God is that if you're diabetic, okay, and maybe I'm speaking to you, but if you're a diabetic, why would you get in line at the donut shop? Like, it doesn't make sense, right? And you're like, well, I'm just kind of here to smell the donuts. Get, get out of there. Get, get out of there. It's, it's not good for you to tempt the Lord your God. You know, you, again, it's silly. It's a, it's a, it's a silly uh, example, but you know that your body cannot take that sugar, that you're not, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, and so then you force God to say, okay, Lord, heal me. I don't feel well. I'm sick. I'm, my sugar is out the roof or what have you. And it's like, why would you tempt God with that? You know you shouldn't be in line at the donut shop. And thus, get out of there. It's the lust of the eyes. It's those things that we see and we go after and we say, okay, Lord, rescue me. 
you shouldn't tempt the Lord your God. And thus Jesus with the Bible beats the enemy again. But there's one more. It's that pride of life. And it's again Matthew chapter 4 verses 8 through 10. And it says in verse 8, Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. If seen, if seen everyone at the temple didn't work, and, and you know, you see me and I see you, Satan now took Jesus to a place where he could see the entire world. He tells Jesus, I will give you the whole world if you just bow down and worship me. And guess what? It's that same offer that Satan makes to us. Consider a couple of things with me in these verses in this temptation. Look at verse 8. Notice that he takes him to a, look at the wording, to an exceedingly high mountain. And then he shows him all, notice that word, all the kingdoms, and then not only just the kingdoms, but what? And their glory. I, I kind of made emphasis on exceedingly, on all, and of glory. Why? Satan takes him to a place where nothing will obstruct his view, number one. He takes him to a place where he can offer it all to him. And then Satan tempts him with the best of the best. The kingdoms and all their glory. Notice that he didn't take him to some rinky-dink kingdom. You know, I mean, it wasn't just some little 20-person kingdom. These are the kingdoms and all all of their glory. Satan knew, now get this, Satan knew that Jesus was here and that Jesus' mission was here to redeem all people in all kingdoms and thus he tempts them with what his mission was already. Like Jesus is here to redeem all nations and all kingdoms and all big or small. And he says, look, from here you can have it all. And he tempts him with what Jesus was already here to do. And I say that because Satan, kind of applying it to our lives, he will apply or he will appeal to our pride in the same way. Satan will use a counterfeit of whatever it is that God has wired you to do. What is it that God has wired you to do? In this case, God has wired Jesus, and he, he sent Jesus with this mission to rescue all humanity, all kingdoms, all. Absolutely all. And thus he tempts him with giving him a counterfeit of it. And Satan will do the same thing for us. But look at verse 9. He says, all these things, and I'm going to make emphasis on this word, I will give you. All these things I will give you, and I, I emphasize I because it leads me to understand that Satan has dominion over this world. It's his world. I don't know if you knew that, but it's his world. For the time being, it's his world. And it's a biblical view because 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 tell us that even if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this world has blinded. There is a God of this world, and his name is Satan. John 12 calls him Satan, the prince of this world. Make no mistake about it. Satan has 
things at his disposal, things that he can offer you. They might be on a temporary basis, but he still uses them to appeal to our flesh. And that thing that God has made you for is most likely the thing that he's going to appeal to your pride about. And in this case, he does that with Jesus. But look at another thing in verse 9. You can have them if, if you will fall down and worship me. There's always a cost to accepting Satan's offer. In this case, it was surrendering his loyalty to him. And Satan is willing to give you and I stuff in order that he gain our allegiance. Why? Why would he want our allegiance? And why would he offer us such great things, grand, glorious things as he did with Jesus? Well, in, the, in Jesus' case, it's because Satan knew that if Jesus bows down to him, if, if Jesus takes this shortcut, if you will, which is all it is, like the kingdoms are already Jesus, except for he's got to go through the cross. But he's saying, hey, let's avoid that cross. Here's a counterfeit. Why don't you just bow down to me? And he knows that if Jesus accepts, he will not fulfill his calling. And his calling was to redeem all of mankind. And it's the same with us. Whatever God has called you to do, you can only do it if you remain loyal to him and to him only. That's it. You cannot have your foot in this world. And then Jesus again, look at what he does in verse 10. He said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Deuteronomy 6 verse 13. Bible. Jesus once again uses scripture to defeat the enemy. Now, how did Jesus triumph over temptation? With the word of God. And that's really why I wanted to go into this section and not spend all our time with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, using the Word of God that was in Him. And my question for us today is, is it in you? Is the Word in you? Do you only read it when you need it? Or do you just simply read it? Do you just simply read it? I'm willing to say, and I don't mean to step on toes, but if you are constantly falling to the temptations of the enemy, it's probably because you aren't in your word like you should be. And you can test me on it. If the Bible, if the word is just a part of your life, it's something that just doesn't sway. It's, it's there. It's constant. You're, you're in it, not because you need it or when you need it, but it's because you need it. You'll find yourself falling uh, you not falling prey to the enemy. It's a very simple answer, but it's oh so hard to do. So we've seen the anointed one. We've seen the temptation of the accuser. And with the very little time that we have left, let's look at that last little portion, the angels. And it's, it's, it's back to Mark, if you'll join me back in Mark verse 13. And it's that last little section. Look at what it says. And the angels ministered to him. Now, that word angels merely means messenger sent by God, and they're spoken of throughout the entire Bible. And, and we don't have time really to go into, and it wasn't really my goal to do an in-depth study of angels and their function and, and, and what they do today. Uh, maybe perhaps someday we will. I heard that Billy Graham has a great book called Angels that is just excellent. It, it's it's thorough and it's biblical on the subject of angels. So you can 
purchase that and read on that if, if, if angels pique your curiosity. But I only I want you to consider two things with angels, and we'll just kind of wind down with this. Number one, I want you to know that angels are real and that angels are here to minister to us. Now, I, I've never seen one. Perhaps I've entertained one. Hebrews says that sometimes we do, we don't even know it. But angels are real, and they're here to minister to us, just like they ministered to Jesus. When it says that they minister, it just simply means that they served, they attended, they, they supplied for him. They do the same for us. Now, how did they minister to Jesus? We aren't told. Just says that the angels came. None of the Gospels tell us. They just came and they ministered to him. And I believe that it was done on purpose. And I believe that it doesn't tell us how they ministered to him so that you and I can say, well, they did it like this or they did it like that. And we put angels in this little box of how they ministered to Jesus. And that's the only way that angels can minister. I'm glad that it did not tell us. Angels serve. Just know this. They're real, and angels serve, angels supply, angels take care of, and they wait on us in a variety of ways. It's a beautiful thing. I don't get it, I don't deserve it, but I'll take it if God gives them to us. So that's the first one. They're real and they minister to us, but the one thing and the last thing that I want you to consider and what we're going to close with today is this, and this is why I decided to make it its own little division. And the angels came and ministered to him. Ready? The second thing is that angels came, notice, after the temptation and not during it. You're like, so what's the big deal with that? Well, can angels, angels tend to us during a trial? Well, of course. If God wants them to. I don't see why they couldn't. However, in this case, in Jesus' case, and again, I think it was on purpose, they didn't. Notice that they came afterwards. Why? Here's what I think. I think the angels, though they could have come during, remember Jesus, uh, Satan even told them, hey, have your, the angels take charge over you. Like, throw yourself and call on them. He knew that he could Jesus later, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, hey, do you not know that I can call? Put your sword away, Peter. You don't know that I can call? And they're just at my disposal like, like that. But in this case, he didn't. And, and, and I, I think that the angels came afterwards because the solution to our temptation, what Jesus used in our text was word and not angels. And I think it's that simple. God wants us to go to his word for answers. Why? Well, because his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, says Psalm 119. Well, because his word cleanses our way, his word revives, his word strengthens, his word comforts, and his word gives us life. According to Psalm 119, I found that all in one psalm. And there's more. Go to his word. His word is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb, according to Psalm 19. I encourage you to go to his word and not to angels. Nothing wrong with angels. In fact, they are a godsend, but they aren't there to replace 
his word. And thus in our text, after 40 days of temptation, after having resisted the enemy with the word of God, the angels come and minister to Jesus. And my prayer for you today is that you too will triumph over temptation. How? By walking in the same power that Jesus did, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, by battling temptation with God's word, and by number three, receiving that supernatural consolation given to us by God's messengers, as we call them, angels. Thanks for joining Pastor Hector Velarde today on New Spring Radio. Pastor Hector has been working his way through the book of Mark. Within this gospel book, you'll learn more and more about how Jesus came to be a servant to all. While many people are looking to be served, that wasn't Jesus' goal in coming to earth. He came to serve in his life and especially in his death. Jesus came as a servant to mankind, willing to lay down his life for the sake of humanity. It's an example that should be highly praised and something everyone should want to follow by his example. Serving is greater than being served. What are some of your thoughts from what you've heard today? We'd like to hear from you. If you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at office at calvarynewspring.com. That's office at calvarynewspring.com. Perhaps you're more of a phone person. You can call us too. Our number is 210-530-9673. One more time, that's 210-530-9673. If you're simply interested in hearing this message again or others like it, head over to calvarynewspring.com. Just look under the Messages tab. We love to serve the community around us. And if you're in the area, it would be such a blessing for you to join us this weekend. All the information you need, including service times and directions, are on our website, calvarynewspring.com. Thanks for listening to New Spring Radio.